everyone, and welcome once again to Starship Podcast Warlock. I am Drew. I am Jeff. And we are in the fourth episode now of uh, Black Adder Season 1, known as The Black Adder. Um, yes, I have been actually reading about the show that we're ostensibly uh, presenting to you. Uh, oh, crap. In the meantime, do homework. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I don't I'll think you after, were, actually. I'll stay after school. Okay. Uh, <laughs> No, no, I, I just happen to be looking up things uh, out of sheer interest. And um, and yeah, it is the Black Adder with the space between Black and Adder, but all the rest of them are Black Adder, uh, one word. Fascinating bit of trivia there. I had some other stuff that I was probably going to bring up, but I'm going to save those for next time because we have Ooh. a topic to discuss uh, today. Which seems relevant to both this and the next season of Blackadder, which is that both Jeff and I have, um, in in differing proportions, of course, uh, had various involvements with medieval and Renaissance type stuff. And I thought we would uh, add a little personal note to the season by talking about some of that. Um, I guess I'll start because I think you probably have better stories. Um the thing How many that, can I tell here? I'm not entirely sure. But. Uh, that's true. Uh, I mean, this is marked explicit most of the time. Hmm. Well, uh, the main type of thing related to that that I did first in my life, I guess, was our high school would have a medieval day every year. I want to say we had a renaissance day, too, but that doesn't sound right. I think it was always just medieval day. Um, and basically what that was is... My senior year English teacher, I think it was. No, no, junior year because I took AP English. Anyway, uh, she was very into medieval stuff, medieval literature, uh, Shakespeare, etc. I mean, Shakespeare's not medieval, but you know what I mean. Everything from kind of like mystery plays on up to on up to Shakespeare. It was kind of her thing. So she, I think, mostly orchestrated that every year. And basically, it was just kind of like a little pageant. So there'd be, we'd do like a little play. Um, we'd all dress up. I say all, but like the people who are participating in it. Uh, I think there was a dragon costume that got rolled out every now and then. She would always dress as Eleanor of Aquitaine. She had a big thing for the Lion in Winter. That's funny. I was just about to bring that up. I, I figured. Yeah, yeah. That was her. That was her character that she did. So... I would love to do that show someday. Oh, I would too, actually. I, I did enjoy it. Um, it is one of those plays, though, where uh, by the end of it, you're sort of exhausted because everyone has been needling everyone else, and, and you're sort of tired. It's like it's like when you get to the end of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, you're sort of exhausted from all the sparring that's been going on. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think the audience the audience feels to some extent the same way that the characters are in that regard, and mm -hmm. you know, trying to imagine. I, I think that puts them in their um, that that puts people in as if as if they are participating as part of the characters. Um, it's one of the things I like about it. Although I agree that it's um, you do need do need a little bit of a lie down afterwards. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Uh, producing that effect. Um, Anyway, yeah, I, the reason that you're going to have better stories is my memory is terrible. I don't really remember much beyond that uh, other than it was fun. Uh, I remember making a costume out of, I want to say like a, I did like a linen tunic and uh, and like a tabard made of this like curtainy fabric, like this kind of velvety fabric. 
uh, and I, then like a rope belt and some other stuff. I can't remember what I wore on my feet, but I have to ask, do you have pictures? <laughs> you know what? I think I do. That's how I can describe this is because I remember the picture. I'll have to mm. find it. Uh, but yeah, it was, um, it that was be fun times. Logo. What's that? That will be our new logo. Oh, yes. <laughs> now nobody will listen. Um, mm. So, yeah, that that was kind of a fun thing. I, I seem to recall that we did some plays in schools as well. Like, I feel like we took one of those little skits on the road and, you know, performed for elementary kids and, I don't know, kept them out of trouble for a couple hours or whatever it was. And that was pretty much it until, what is the other thing I'm thinking of? Oh, Renaissance fairs. That's the other thing I was thinking of. I can't remember if I went to one of those before, like, college. I don't think I did. But I could be wrong. Anyway, I mean, we've been I, to I know Renaissance you did fairs in college. together. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say ever since, was it Sterling, right? I mean, in, mm-hmm. in New York. Which yeah. was a pretty good one, actually, as I recall. Uh, I mean, it was um, the only one I'd been to, but I seem to recall it was pretty big. It it is, and it, it's been it's been many many years. I mean, for me, um, so I mean, I, I didn't. Yeah, I wasn't doing. Uh, I mean, so all right. So I don't know if that's a segue to, to me at this point, or yeah, we can segue um, to you. <laughs> okay, so um, uh, as I hijack the conversation, uh, uh, save it is more what's happening. Oh, I see. Um, you're you're very kind. Um, but uh, so I started uh the sca i started in not started i'm not al gore uh (laughs) i started in the society for creative anachronism um i I was introduced to it in uh in college by by a mutual uh friend of mine hi maura um when I, i went to visit spring break one year um and I knew that there was a group in, in Rochester in upstate New York, an undergrad, but um, I, I didn't have the time. And I figured when I did grad school, uh, I would do that. So I had gone to Madison, University of Wisconsin, go Badgers for, um, for grad school and, and started there that very day. And that was pretty much, that was a good part of my social life in the time that I was in grad school and beyond. And then I was in Illinois for a little bit and then now you know, Northern California. Um, you so know, basically the, the birthplace of the SCA. And so, I mean, I spent, I, I've spent a lot of time there, although I, I haven't, I've been kind of in and out in terms of my, you know, I mainly done uh, choir stuff and, and theater, our, our comedia troupe. Um, uh, sorry, you were about to ask something. Yeah. So, I mean, I think by this point, anyone who doesn't know what the Society for Creative Anachronism is, if there is any such person listening to this is like, what, what is this thing? So, Oh, I, I kind of have the same question. So let me tell you what I think it is. It, I think it's like, uh, medieval LARPing is my image of it, <laughs> but I assume that's not it. Are you, um, are you wounded? I, I'm yeah, I'm very wounded. Uh, <laughs> although it's, it's just, funny you should mention that. It's funny you mentioned that because somebody literally posted a New Yorker looking type cartoon today on Facebook. Um, that was kind of lampooning something like that. And it was interesting to see how people reacted. And, and um, Well, I have no, actually almost LARPed. So I think that okay. uh, if any of us should feel shame, it's me. Actually, no, no I really I mean, have. I remember now. Yeah, well, but, I've, I've done I've done LARPing in, in uh, not much, just a little. I have friends of mine that are very much into it, but um, I, I've been more fringy, I suppose, in that regard. But, I mean, um, you know, the SCA as the Society for Creative Anachronism started in... in you know, in Berkeley in the, was it 66, I think. Um, and 
you know, um, interestingly enough, a bunch of people that um, went on to be writers in the in the fantasy and science fiction community, I know, shocked, I tell you. But um, <laughs> also, it's interesting how much a lot of different subcultures kind of have mixed and interacted over the years. Uh, but, um, I, I mean, you know, it's interesting. I'm sure that there there's certainly a lot of crossover in between, you know, Renfair and SCA and, mm-hmm. and, and LARPing and stuff. But SCA... Um, I'm sure that there's quite a few people in the SEA that are listening to this, so I'm sure that whatever, uh, whatever I'm going to say, they're going to be cringing, and I, I apologize ahead of time well, uh, for that, just because I'm I'm not the best ambassador. But um, and can I can, well can I guess some more what you do? Because I I know a little bit of it from what you said. So let me let me see what what's correct and what's not. So um, you let's play twenty questions. You have you have an identity. I know that you have like a name, and I, I assume kind of a rank. Or like a, a, a pers- uh, well, a, a persona. I mean, uh, so I mean, yeah. Everybody ends up choosing their persona. You know what? What you know, nationality and time period that you want to okay. be, and and potentially, you know, what your focus is. I, you know, as a twelfth-century um, troubadour. And I mean, some people don't choose it right away. Anyway, I mean, um, there's nothing that says, "Oh my God, you." If you don't have one, you uh, you forget it. But I mean, it's it's tough because people usually end up addressing you by that name and and things like. I mean, yeah, there's a, there's an element of play acting there as well. But people are not staying in persona the entire time the way that they mm-hmm. would at say a run fair. Um, and it's there. There's a lot of scholarship related aspects to it as as well. It's well, interesting how many. Yeah, I mean, it sounds sorry. like. It, I was just gonna say, it sounds like you you do a lot of. Uh, activities that are intended to be historically accurate, right? So the, I know that you had uh, a lot of choir events. Um, there's, uh, there's there's the comedia you mentioned. Yep. I mean, it depends on how uh, on how you know hardcore you are. There's ones that are that are more relaxed than others. There was like you know a perfectly period feast that tries every few years. I mean, uh, to give you an idea, I think they do it every three years or whatever. That that. Um, you know, tries to recreate things as as close as possible as you can. In some cases, it's a little more re- relaxed, or you know, we have a bardic competition. Certainly, mm-hmm. every once in a while, there's certainly lots of people beating each over the head with sticks for, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, the, and and there's some bits that have historical precedent. There's some of it that does not have a lot of historical precedent. In some cases, that's because this was started up as a as a as a lark. Um, for medieval enthusiasts, you know, in, in Berkeley in the sixties mm-hmm. and it, it has bits and pieces of that, that history. Um, and it's, it's morphed and changed over time. And there's a lot of sturm and drawing over what that means and what it means to everybody. And, and, um, um, it's, it's, it's fascinating, or at least it's fascinating to me, certainly. Um, but I feel like there's people that are a lot more articulate than me about it. But I mean, if I was going to compare this to, um, you know, for for Renfair, it's the fact that okay, you're you're there's there's this company, and you're putting this on for the public. They come on to see you entertain and and mm-hmm. uh, and do whatever. Right? The SCA, it's it's your participating. Is there's no there's nothing for the public or whatever. It's your group going out and doing doing things. It's an event for all the all the different members basically, and and to 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 do these particular things. And uh, and yeah, there's a king and queen, and there's. Um, and there's court, and there's um, and there's bardic, and all these things. And like I said, there's a bunch of stuff. Certainly, in terms of period research, in terms of cooking, in terms of sewing, in terms of of, um, of calligraphy, in mm-hmm. all sorts of martial forms of, of uh, in archery. Archery, oddly enough, is where I first started before I did anything else. Um, oh, interesting. 
Yeah, I don't ask me why, but oh, and dance, period, dance. Um, <laughs> uh, proof that proof that me as a as a clueless white boy can still um, get on the dance floor and do some things. Uh, as I cannot. Well, it that led to. I mean, I've been doing waltzing and stuff over here, so clearly that was the gateway. But um, but the stuff that I did over there is uh, English country is is pretty easy to uh, to follow. <laughs> um, well, I have a couple more questions about the whole the persona thing, which is one of them is, is there a specific year or time period that all of this is, is in? Or is it possible for like me to be from, you know, 1054 and you to be from 1493? Yeah, uh, that's one way in which I said that, you know, accuracy is only so far that, uh, yes, okay. there are there are a bunch of people walking around that would not have interacted there there is a line in one of yeah, I think it's in Morton one of Terry Pratchett's books where he talks about the fact that you know the two greatest lovers in the history of the disc were I think it was Melius and Credelinda who would have set the universe afire with their flame and passion were it not for the fact that they were born tragically 200 years apart from each other <laughs> um and, and so yeah I mean uh people are in act all the time that are in different personas different mm-hmm. countries different uh um yeah it it is there it happens I mean What's the sort of max and min? Like, I assume that, you know, I could be from 1903. Well, you know, they, they supposedly the cutoff date is, is 1600. Now, okay. I mean, um, there are some things that, like, uh, the first real great um, period documentation for music uh, or for, for dance, or one, one of the big ones, Playford, is like 16. 47 or whatever and they're like well that's close enough some people will give you like a 50 year well that's that's close enough type of thing but you know if you go around and running around in cavalier costumes it's it feels like just all right that's a little bit later of an of an age but you know normally cut off around you know elizabethan or jacobian um feels about uh about right and in Mm -hmm. terms of how far back um you know, I, I don't know. At one point, I remember somebody was saying 600 or whatever, but there's people that have been running around in, in will do Roman costumes or, or something like that occasionally. Although, I mean, I'd say typically you end up sticking, you know, typically if you're between, you know, six and 1600, that seems like that's, um, that that's covers the majority of people and there's plenty to, to cover. Um, you know, um, you were actually, uh, we were talking about personas at one point um, or, or a little bit earlier. And, you know, in addition to personas, there's also that, you know, you, you have your arms, your, your device to be, uh, to be registered. And, oh, yes. Um, and so you do get awards for certain things for, for um, service or for your um, arts and science work or, or for your, you know, um, or for your, your, um, you know, the awards and bravery there, you do get knighted and things like that too. Uh, and so people do all these, these, you know, scrolls that, that might have your device on it. If you're uh, in armor, you could be wearing your device, what have you. And so mine, um, and that's a lot of that heraldry um, is is very much derived from um, from actual um, medieval heraldry. And, and, you know, if you want to have the people that are, you know, rules lawyers and sticklers and stuff like that, that's kind of the, the that, that form of uh, heraldry, if that sort of stuff appeals to you. Uh, but it's interesting trying to figure out what you can kind of sneak by, what things fit the rules. So mm-hmm. my uh, my device, which I didn't really, even though I'd been doing this since 1985, I actually didn't set up a device until about six or seven years ago. Um, Wait, hold on. You've been bit. doing this since 1985? 95. Oh, 95. I said 85. Yeah, yeah. Carry on. No, no. Um, so, uh, and I would like to thank uh, Emily, if she's listening, for, for helping me out with this. Um, so my device... 
because it's nice and simple. And in terms of the rules of what you can do for different colors and designs and stuff like that, uh, it was very easy to pass. But um, it's basically Pong. <laughs> what? And and yeah, I, I basically I designed my device to be Pong. And in fact, I, I wanted a <laughs> motto associated with it. I I've still not figured out how to translate into Latin uh, the words "avoid missing ball for high score." <laughs> Uh, that's awesome. So yeah, I, didn't, and, I don't and, believe I knew that. Yeah, and then you know you mentioned big events. There's the the biggest one is Penzik, which is you know in in Pennsylvania for you know two weeks uh, every year over the summer. That you know there's like fifteen thousand people that uh, that show up there. I mean the, it has its own zip code and and mailing address actually. Oh my god. Uh, yeah, it's basically a, a city uh, and uh, in western Pennsylvania, and, and the locals all know that's there. They actually the supermarkets around there will gear up and get ready for it. It's uh, you know it's been accepted at that point that it, that's you know it's been going for you know roughly fifty years there. So um, so it, is it set up and taken down, or is there permanent structure there? Um, I believe that like there there's people that have worked with the folks that run that sort of thing, so that there are some things that are that are, are permanent, but for the most part, most of it is, is taken down. I mean, you know, it's, it's uh, campground, it's used for other things in other ports of the year, but there are certain things that are there that are set aside for that. But most of it is, uh, the vast majority of it is people bring their stuff in and, and, and take it down. And there's mm -hmm. some, you know, from little tents and things like that to these gigantic, um, gigantic pavilions and things that look like houses that, you know, they may spend a couple of days just setting it up in the beginning. Um, it's it's pretty huge, and I, I've been three times. Although the last time was two thousand one, it was easier when I lived in Wisconsin. Um, the last time was right after I moved out to California, and I flew out there and stayed with a with a friend. Um, he had brought a tent, but I, I haven't done it since. Um, and they also changed the date; they moved it to early, earlier in the summer, so it's no longer over my birthday. So I'm a little bitter about that. Oh. I still haven't gotten <laughs> over it. I, like everything in the world happens over Anne's birthday weekend, so yeah. Yeah, well, and the other thing for timing is like, uh, you know, if I'm doing shows, for example, if I'm performing oh, yes. in shows, that, that that's been conflicting. And I mean, that that really, you know, I started doing uh, doing that, you know, Gilbert Sullivan and opera and, and things like that in, in 2010. And so really um, that that's curtailed things a little bit. I mean, the, the best, the, the most things at the SCA that I, I usually end up doing is that, that the big yearly event uh, locally is there's a kingdom level, you know, you could think part of California, essentially, uh, 12th night. So, you know, mm. early, mm -hmm. early January. And so, um, that's when comedia, that's when we do our shows. That's kind of the social event of the season. And so, um, uh, that's usually when I would be most active. Um, and of course now it being COVID, um, we're, we're dating ourselves. If you're listening to this from several years in the future, when, oh, hopefully, no. every, <laughs> when hopefully everything is, is back to normal unless super COVID comes along. Uh, but, uh, but, uh, there's certainly been enough events that folks have tried to hold virtually in one uh, way or another. Uh -huh. and, and people have started up different podcasts and things like that too. <laughs> they've done, they've done virtual barbecue uh, and things along those I'm sorry. That's kind of hilarious actually. Oh, yeah. Well, actually, one of the fascinating things that a bunch of people pulled out in the very beginning is if you're familiar with um, Boccaccio's Decameron, uh, which uh, I, I joked is to Italy what Canterbury Tales is to, uh, is to England, but um, yep. a lot uh, some people listening to this are cringing right now. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, part of the, the, the idea for the Decameron is the story goes is that a bunch of nobles basically run to escape the plague and they all hide out. In oh, the, yes. Uh, they hide out in the forest and they sit around and tell stories. And this is just their... You know, it's called the Cameron. It's ten days of ten stories, essentially. Uh, 
uh, each. And so people got the idea of, well, great, we're in a plague now. Let's do a, a virtual modern day Decameron, essentially. And so anybody can contribute their story. So it was a good framing story for that sort of thing. Uh, amazing. Um, it makes me think of the Momus song, The New Decameron. Hmm. Which probably, it, which really has nothing to do with this at all. Yeah. It's all about how grunge destroyed, like, arch pop in the, <laughs> the early 90s. But that's a story huh, for another I, time. All right. I'm going to have to listen to that at some point. I'm curious. That's a clever little ditty. Mm. Uh, so th there was one other question I wanted to ask, and then we should get into the episode, which is that mm -hmm. uh, I know that you were a noble of some sort, right? You had your heraldry and everything. Did anybody, was there anybody who was like, I'm going to be a serf? Um, there isn't so much serfdom uh, or anything along those lines. There is, it, there's certainly the, the first level award that's part of the award, the, the award of arms after which you get to be addressed as Lord or lady or whatever. Nobody refers to you as Lord or lady. It's just that if, you know, you were officially announced on something or whatever, that you would get that before your title the same way if you were a king, you would get your majesty or, or a baron and you would get your, your excellency. And there's different reasons for that sort of thing. But, um, but it's usually just either you have your AOA or you, or you, or you don't. And that's uh, beyond that. I, yeah, I haven't, nobody's, nobody's really wandering around, you know, um, <laughs> tilling uh, the land uh, co covered with, uh, you know, I mean, th there are people that would do what I would consider busking at uh, at events for certain things potentially, okay. but yeah, not not really so much. Um, <laughs> you know, it's it's again, um, you know, as somebody's said, the the medieval uh, the, the ages um, as we would uh, as we would hope they would be. There, there, there oh, was, I see. There's a lot of talk about the idea of the SCA and the idea of the dream uh, of. Oh God, I, I'm not the best ambassador for this, uh, unfortunately. <laughs> but um, if you would like to know more, uh, www.sca.org. Um, but uh, the idea that um, with you know uh, reacting with, with chivalry, with honor, with it, that you know a personal code of conduct uh, or or honorably. Um, the idea is if everybody kind of acted that way, it would be a much better world and carrying those ideals forth into the real world as, as well. And kind of using that as, you know, um, as a jumping off point to be better people. Um, mm. and, uh, it's, it's been, it's actually a usual topic, a, a large topic of, of, um, of discussion. I mean, there's, uh, you know, in addition to royalty, there's, I mentioned, uh, the chivalry and the knights and there, there's other levels of what they would consider the peers, basically, you know, that you get this high level award for something and they talk about what are peer like qualities, what sort of things mm -hmm. that, that, um, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, I, I maintain that you don't have to have the society to be that way. You frankly, anybody should actually behave like a decent human being. And, and that's, uh, and you know, if that helps you, focus on that sort of thing and that great um but uh you know i, I kind of feel like i i am who i am regardless of that and so um right uh there's there's a lot of discussions on on you know on um uh on the ethics and i was gonna say morality ethics of uh of a lot of these sorts of things so you know and a lot of philosophy behind it and um at its at its worst, it's navel gazing. At the best, it's um, it's uh, actually kind of a fascinating, uh, fascinating debate. Of which, as I said, 
others could um, expound upon in levels far more articulate than I. <laughs> All of that describes this podcast as well. Uh, that others can talk about it far more <laughs> articulate than but I. Yes, I would agree. Some of it is navel gazing, and some of it mm. is uh, fascinating. Mm. Let's hope. I don't know. I have a fascinating navel, so you know, there we go. It just all <laughs> I, I never I knew that about you. Uh, well, I, I don't let just anybody see my navel. <laughs> exactly. I mean, uh-huh. of course. I, I mean, we've roomed together, but sorry. No. <laughs> we haven't, actually. We've We've housed together. We've housed together, yes, yes, correct. Not roomed, we've housed. Yes. Uh, well, on that fascinating note, let's get into The Queen of Spain's Beard, which is the fourth episode this season. Uh, as always, I will say three, two, one, play, and you will hit play at the exact same time that Jeff and I do, so that you'll be perfectly in sync with our laughter. You're not the boss of me, okay. <laughs> it's merely a suggestion. Mm. All right, so I am queuing up my uh, playing. I don't know what to call it. Uh, I'm watching it now uh, through BritBox. So, ah, exciting. Yes, let me make sure my subtitles are on. Where do they go? Whatever. I guess we'll see. Uh, are you ready, Jeff? I am ready. All right, uh, three, two, one, play. Uh, here we go. Three, two, one, play. Elsinore. Oh, no. Is that night shoot? Even the uh, credit sequence is dark. Just weird. Especially because the sun is shining right there. I didn't remember it being like this. Neither did I. It's like they smeared a smurf on the lens. I, I know I've done the Winterfell joke already. Probably. Two? What? Are we watching these what? out of order? I'm watching the Queen of Spain's beard. Me too. if I would have made that a laugh line, but, you know. Man, the Star Wars opening crawl is getting depressing. (laughs) 
<laughs> what is that about? Do I have to say it? <laughs> you probably do. Bernard. <laughs> you know, I've never seen a flock of seagulls haircut with a beard before. <laughs> he can make anything work. He takes pride in his work. It's important. continue to be fascinated by the fact <laughs> that Baldrick is higher status than we're used to. Yes.
Let it never be said that Brian Blessed is the only one chewing scenery. I know, yes. There was also a dog. Yes. Why does he do that weird mirroring thing? I mean, it's hilarious, but it's so random. If you can't think for yourself, then follow what somebody else does. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything like the yellow rose of Galveston? See, this is a line I can imagine Blackadder 2 saying. Yeah. Only far more pissy.
I <laughs> love the translator. <laughs> He's kind of the opposite Percy. Mary Margulies and <laughs> and uh, and Jim Brog met made such a good double pair in all their appearances in the show. Kind of Trumpy in there. Trumpy, you can do stupid things. <laughs> Cuckoo Cachoo. <laughs> Freaking Percy.
<laughs> A little sad we never get to meet the Earl of Doncaster. That's fanfic for you. <laughs> I wonder if there's Black Adder fanfic. I'm sure there is. It's like the vulture. Oh, God. <laughs> God. I was curious to see how badly this was going to age. <laughs> so was I. <laughs> it's like a parrot. Worst Papageno I've ever seen. I enjoy that sequence. <laughs> Is that her only lines this episode? Oh, I don't know.
Is that really Jim Broadbent? Yes. Oh my God, I didn't even recognize him. Well, you know, the two of them have been paired up, right? They pair up in the Christmas Carol, and mm -hmm. in fact, for the uh, for the turnip episode, they were supposed to be paired up again, only uh, Jim couldn't fit it into a schedule. It's a good thing you're here. I know nothing about this show. Why is he still dressed like that? He's in a rush. Okay. Get on with it, Bilbo Baggins. <laughs> <laughs> That's why he was still in the outfit. Mm-hmm.
Oh, that does sound good. First time I've ever heard it called that. <laughs> Fish fingers and custard. Oh, that sounds good too. Oh my god. It's a little Sylvester McCoy-ish there. Mm-hmm. It's not fair. They should do this to Percy. <laughs> should do it to the dumbest one, and that's Percy. Jeez.
<laughs> this is very like the Young Ones episode. Two of the Young Ones episodes, actually. Hmm. I'm suddenly trying to imagine... I mean, Rick Mail's been in the show, but imagining them trying to put Rick in... Um, in the role as Edmund. It is somewhat of a Rickish role, isn't it? A Rick role. A Rick role. Yeah, we both went there. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to make an Alderaan joke. Not going to make a Sansa Stark reference. <laughs> 
Interesting. I don't remember the credits being this color either. Yes. Don speak English, an interpreter. <laughs> it's funny. I just could not bring myself to make a, uh, a Princess Leia joke. I just couldn't. <laughs> it's too easy. It is an odd choice. May I guess that was just a kind of limp joke there. I guess, I mean, you know, it's, um, uh, this was made in 1983, so right around when Jedi came out. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, obviously there were two movies with her in it before. I mean, Leia is a real name, I'm just saying. It is? Really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Funny that. Well, that was the Queen of Spain's beard. Uh, well, <laughs> it, it's... This is an odd one, I feel like. And... Um, yeah, I don't know. You know, it's it's funny. I, um, I, I like bits and pieces of this, and to some extent it feels like a bit more of the evolution of a character getting a little closer to the Edmund that we, we, that we know and love, I, I think. Um, and, uh, and, I mean, there's so many standout parts with, uh, especially just the interpretation in bed. Uh, bed. Yes. I mean, um, you know, there, there's so many good, good bits here that, you know, I feel like it's a, it's a good episode on paper, and I like each individual bits, but it, it doesn't quite, I mean, I, I think it's, I don't know if it's just a pacing problem or, or what, um, because I, I feel like this should be, it, it's still up on the t upper end of my list of the four episodes that we've done so far. Yes. But, uh, but it's, it's not quite as high a mark, an absolute mark, as I would have uh, put it, uh, if you'd asked me before we watched the episode. This is probably actually the episode from the first season that I remember the best. Um, Same here. Yeah, like it's it's got a lot of really, um, it's got a lot of standout parts. When I say it's an odd episode, I guess I don't mean anything about the quality. I actually think it's very funny. Jim Broadbent is hilarious. I like the whole Earl of Doncaster running joke. Um, I was know. so worried that was going to be that was going to seem borderline offensive. <laughs> well, uh, but uh, but it wasn't. It's you just might too... feel that way, but you know, it, it's yeah, it was it wasn't close. It was too pathetic to be uh <laughs> pretty much um i mean the other thing that i think is uh is weird about this episode is the whole like i, I always hmm, i always hate it when there's like a a thing where oh no there's this super unattractive woman or even super unattractive man that you're suddenly stuck with and i imagine being cast in that role and like going you know I can play this well, but like I, I don't know. It's just such an odd uh, thing to imagine as an actor. But um, perhaps other actors are thicker skinned than me, and certainly she does it very, very well. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the 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 term for that is you know 
character actress or something like that, I suppose. But right. if that isn't an offensive, you know, backhanded compliment, I suppose. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, I feel like Edmund was sort of like uh, lucking out there, kind of, you know, given who else is going to end up with him. Well, yeah. Um, <laughs> and yeah, the, sadly. And the, the ending, I remember, didn't seem like uncomfortable at all when I watched this when I was younger because the, you know, the joke came off pretty much exactly as it, as it should. I think we're, uh, we regard that kind of joke in a different way now, I think. It's true. It's, it's definitely true. Although it wasn't, it wasn't, I mean, in a way I'm glad that we got that little denouement with them together as opposed to just, I mean, you know, the, the imagination can make things worse than it actually is. <laughs> At least in this case, yes. it was just the, it's the, okay, I suddenly have a daughter that is basically, um, but we have this, this relation, I suppose is what it is. Yes. Um, it's, it's cute. It really is. Yeah. So, um, I, I love Harry's, uh, fruit puns. I don't know why, but that also sticks with me. <laughs> May she in turn cherish you. Cherish you see. Uh, I think know, I called on that for some some characters in the past. It's huh, kind of a weird mean, way of presenting that. The, the fact that, you know, we, we see him slightly frustrated at, at the beginning of this episode at one point, but for the most part, again, it's the fact that he's just the the happy-go-lucky. He He's almost the, he's almost like a VP-type character, you know, a, a clueless, um, uh, oblivious, I guess, in his own way. Um, oh, wait, a VP character? Well, I mean, uh, thinking along the lines of, you know, like a, a middle manager or, or, oh, or I a company sort of thing. Not not the highest up in the ladder, but somewhere uh, on the upper levels, stature uh, status-wise, but mm-hmm. uh, completely oblivious to what's really going on because they're in their own little happy world. Yep. Um, so, uh, <laughs> and I've often said that what we would do, you know, what would you do if you had a Black Adder in the current day? And, I mean, they did the Millennium Special, of course, um, but... Uh, they had talked about over the years what they would do if they did something in present. One thing I think was tossed around at one point was like a, almost like a version of the office or maybe more like a, a yes minister, yes prime minister type of thing, I suppose, which would be closer in keeping with the, by the seat of power, I suppose. And so um, Harry kind of fits the, um, well, no, he doesn't really fit the Melchit type thing because, uh, yeah, I, I I don't know. He he occupies a unique position in um, in the uh, cast of characters over the years. Yeah, so kind of an enjoyable one. Is. I like his mom yeah. too. Like it, it, just all the sort of supporting characters have fun moments in this one. I feel like uh, I I think we commented on Baldrick and how after seeing the other three seasons, it's weird to see him so competent here in just about everything. Oh, yeah. Coming up with the plan, you know, um, he's he is the muscle in this one, right? Sticking the knife. Uh, oh yeah, the knife at the at the throat. Like I mean, he's not being told to do that. He's doing that of his own volition as as part of the plan. He is definitely, in some ways, he's the smartest one of the three. And if you've never seen this show before, when we get to some of the other seasons, you'll understand why this seems remarkable to us now. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Percy has some very funny bits in this. Uh, just his his weird way of spluttering, I think, is a very funny aspect of his performance. Uh, his delivery isn't quite like anything I've ever seen. It's just uh, like exquisitely silly. 
It's true. And, and uh, you know, although Baldrick changes over the course of the season, uh, seasons, uh, Percy, well, Percy is just Percy between seasons one and two. There really isn't much of a variation in, in him at all. That's true. Uh, let's see. What else do we have about this episode? Uh, I like the little... Um, the little exchange Harry and the King have about uh, what can you do with that thing between your legs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the whole bit between the queen and the Infanta about <laughs> what men like. Yeah. Uh, in both cases, they're almost, they're almost both clueless to like clueless to any sort of amorous things whatsoever. Although it's obviously implied in, in the opening that, uh, you know, uh, that there was going to be some assignation between, him and a, and a woman, whether he was aware of it or not, I suppose. But um, I assume he must have been aware of it. Well, yeah. I mean, it, well, it's funny. It's one of those cases where it, it, either of those characters just seem to have not one romantic intent at all. Wait, who are we talking about? Uh, about um, about Harry and about um, uh, about his mother. Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. I thought we were talking about yeah. the very beginning. Edmund oh, and talking, the, the woman he was meeting. Well, yes, I, I was, I was talking about that, but but I'm just saying the fact that uh, you know Harry. Oh no, of course Harry wouldn't. Um, it, you know that whole um, misunderstanding that it was Edmund. Like I, I, I can't picture Harry actually showing up in place of him there, just because I feel like Harry would almost be too clueless about that sort of thing. That's true. So what probably happened is that Edmund wrote to her, pretending that he was Harry. Yeah. So that she would be interested. Yes. Well, or, or he wrote to her and said, you know, that the prince and she assumed it was Harry. Oh, uh-huh. Um, yeah, I don't know if Edmund would take any chances there. Yeah. But who knows? He's a little, a little dim. Dim-witted. Yeah. Thank God his expressions in this are just so, like, uh, he barely looks human. It's crazy. Well, you know, that's the testament to Rowan Atkinson as... You know, we talked about before that um, on one hand he has Mr. Bean, and on the other hand he has the more acerbic parts of Blackadder, and th- this is kind of a combination in between the two. Like he's mm-hmm. he's uh, and not that Mr. Bean is necessarily a grotesque, uh, whereas parts of Blackadder one clearly are a little bit, but it's um, it's interesting just. Um, you know, he, I wouldn't say he, he's not a, a British Jim Carrey by uh, by any stretch, uh, but um, he, he does have some rather unique contortions of, uh, of face and body. Yeah, those two are not completely up far apart. Yeah, I mean, there, there are some things very, very Comedia-like. Uh, well, all right, Comedia would be wearing masks. That's not the... the um, but in terms of body language, certainly. And I'm still mystified by the messenger and the weird mirroring thing he does. Well, I, I love it. I, I think it's a fantastic oh, it little tick that's never, that's never <laughs> explained. I, all, yep. Like I said, the only way I can think of it is the fact that like he is completely brainless and used to being told whatever he's doing. So when he doesn't know what to do, he just follows whatever everybody else <laughs> does because he's just following orders implicitly. Maybe it's just a bit that the actor started to do and they're like, oh, keep doing that. Yeah, I, I don't know, but it's it, it is it is one of the really 
really odd delights, and I'm glad that they have him, you know, coming back in episode after episode. Mm-hmm. It's just a nice little bit of continuity. And again, the first series spends a lot more time on continuity than later series as well. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, I, and I, I like the sequence of Heralds as well. That you know, um, the first one shows up to give the good news, and you're like, well, that's an actual competent Herald there, and then. <laughs> Uh, and, and then by comparison, when he finally shows up and you're like, okay, there we go. I was waiting for that shoe to drop. Oh my God. I, I love too the bit where he, Edmund can't get him out the door because he's mirroring him. Mm-hmm. He tries to push him in there. Uh, I don't know. It's funny. I, I don't know. Maybe they, they saw too many, um, you know, they, they were expecting too many Marx Brothers routines that they were just picturing him as Harpo somehow or oh, in okay. his own mind. I don't know. Well, uh, that was the Queen of Spain's Beard. And uh, next time around, we're going to be watching The Witch Smeller Persuivant, uh, episode five of The Black Adder. I have to admit, I'm amused by the fact that the, the episodes here are, are long and very distinctive as opposed to you know the second season where they're just one-word titles and then the third mm-hmm. season when they're, uh, when they're um, obviously patterned after a... Um, yeah, they, they have a very specific pattern to the naming scheme, um, mm-hmm. and and the fourth is uh, as well being all you know rank related. Um, well, yep. most of them. Um, so I'm again, even the episode titles alone give you an idea to how different the individual seasons are. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting ride. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we'll continue next time. Uh, until then, this has been Drew. This has been Jeff, and this has been. Starship, Starship Podcast, Podcast Warlock. Warlock. Yeah, we'll get it someday. Maybe. <laughs>